A slip of the tongue may mean the difference between victory and defeat. With a quick mind and a ready smile. How to lose friends and infuriate people all in one easy lesson. Made possible only through years of research. If you are to impress them, you must interest them. Truth. Truth and Soul Incorporated, the New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Truth and Soul Incorporated podcast, also modestly known as the New Zealand Advertising Podcast, just in case you thought you'd stumbled across some weird religious sect. My name is Paul Katmer and all this came about because not only have I worked across the New Zealand advertising industry for the last 20 years, mainly as some form of creative, but I also love podcasts. That's what happens when you have dogs instead of children. Now, while other countries have some fine advertising podcasts, there wasn't really much covering the ad industry in God's own. I mentioned this to Jim Hall, who's too deaf to listen to podcasts himself, but he mentioned it to Jonathan of Franklin Road, who for reasons best known to himself thought it was a bloody good idea. We shall see. So, uh, Jonathan has been installed in the Peter Grant management role, um, while my position is to sit on the chair, argue and spill coffee on whoever is on the other chair. Shane and Cole of Franklin Road do the engineering, editing and weird sounds, while Otis Frizzell kindly did the logo. Jonathan put the opening theme together and assures me that the samples he used are all legit. That'll be a first. Uh, All of this to give the impression that we're less amateurish than we really are. Although this podcast is generally about the creative side of advertising, we've expanded it to include, on occasion, suits, clients, directors, music composers, bartenders, and general hangers-on. The idea is that the podcast serves as an oral history of New Zealand advertising. It provides tips for any young people foolish enough to want to find a way in the industry, and hopefully it's more interesting to listen to on your commute than the loser sitting next to you on the bus. Uh, Being modern, we have a website, so google truthandsoul.co.nz for more details, um, for contact details. You'll also see some links to the work that we talk about. We are, of course, open to sponsorship offers. Uh, A case of beer should do the trick. Jeff Ross of Moa, if you're listening. So subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And also emails are welcome, if you liked a particular podcast or have someone you'd like to hear from. Let us know. If you hate it and think it's a stupid idea, then there's really no need to let me know. Just don't listen and go back to the dark web where you can hate in peace with your brothers. You solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give to be the truth. Okay, so for the first podcast from Truth and Soul Incorporated, uh, we managed to cajole a fantastic guest and a very unusual New Zealand creative leader. I say unusual because he's not actually a POM. He is, of course, South African. Damon Stapleton of DDB has been part of some marvellous award-winning work across three powerhouses of Southern Hemisphere rugby, South Africa, Australia, and, of course, more importantly, New Zealand. Among other things, we talk about um, how he got out of tits and balloons, his term, uh, how he got his work into London's Design Museum without being either a designer, a Londoner, or a stuffed animal, and who he thinks will win the Rugby World Cup. Uh, By the way, here at Truth and Soul Incorporated, we like to have our corrections before we even make our mistakes. So when I mention a creative director called uh, Shane Brannigan, I do, of course, mean Shane Bradnick. It's just curious that Damon agreed with me with the wrong name. Anyway, have a listen. You're listening to Truth and Soul, the New Zealand advertising podcast. Um, So, Damon, I thought 
uh, uh, following the the tradition of advertising podcasts, the the best way in is if you could um, give us some background as to how you ended up in the industry. Yeah, um, I grew up in South Africa. Where whereabouts? Uh, well, I went to about sixteen schools. My dad was a my dad was a actually was a rock star. <laughs> And I know, okay. so he was in a band called The Strangers in the 60s. Okay, if, if you could see Damon now, of course you can't do it on a podcast, he is kind of dressed like he was in a rock band in the 60s. So. Thank, you. Thank you very much. Yeah, maybe the bassist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely on the front, man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and and then he went, so he did all sorts of things in the 60s and he, he started working in hotels. He worked for a man called Sol Kersner, who's sort of... I know the name. Yeah, he's sort of like the African version of Donald Trump. Yeah, um, he, he did Sun City, was it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he had sort of stuff in Dubai. But he, we moved around a lot because my dad ran hotels. So didn't really live in a house till I was about 16 or 17. We were hmm. always living in hotels. Um, but I, I finished school in Durban, which is in Natal. Yeah, um, I've been there. Hot, wet. Hot, wet. Kind of like, like Brisbane without money. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I actually started started off. I studied photography, um, and uh, that's what I was originally. I studied photography. Um, I did that for a while. Um, uh, assisted various photographers. Worked for Reuters, freelance. Did all sorts of things like that. So, you reasonably successful. Um, I managed to pay the rent. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, when you're young and you're trying to be a photographer and especially in those days where, you know, equipment was expensive, um, you know, I was always scrambling, but you know, I did a few good things and I, I shot for a lot of magazines, um, assisted some pretty big photographers. So, I mean, it was, it teaches you how to see. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, photography is useful in lots of ways. I also went to film school for a while. I did, I think I did a lot of things for a while. In my 20s. Yeah. As a creative in those days, there wasn't really, especially in South Africa, there wasn't really a clear path like, oh, this is what you can do. Well, was there an element of doing those things because you wanted to be, because uh, uh, you wanted to be cool? No, I just knew I wasn't an accountant. Yeah. And so I knew that creativity is something I liked, but trying to actually, it's a strange thing trying to make a living in the beginning out of being a creative because i think creative is more of a a broader way of looking at the world and you almost have to find a way to channel that into something that has value to to other people well uh, that that you can get paid for yeah Yeah. in london traditionally so starting back in the 60s art directors were all uh painters who wanted to get some money or maybe photographers yeah uh and the uh, copywriters were all failed novelists some of whom went on to become very successful novelists like Salman Rushdie I think Joseph Heller might have been in advertising an agency too um yeah there's quite a few of them it's I wanted to ask you in London like you have creatives tend to come from the north is that true um was it true they're 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 called it's it's kind of southern wankers and northern monkeys (laughs) is the, the is the way what uh, uh, what, what's broken down a bit, there'll, there'll be a bit of disruption now. As, um, Damon's taking his leather jacket off. Sorry. It's, it's quite it's quite warm in here. I'm getting undressed. Yeah, we don't we don't have the, the um air conditioning on because of the because of the hum. Yeah the 
advertising was it was kind of like boxing mm. for if I'm allowed to say it, for the ghetto and it was it, if you were poor in the states boxing was a way out mm. and ad advertising creatives were generally working class mm. Mm. generally working class so there was a few posh posh writers but the art directors were were guys who, who, who didn't go to university some are made their way to art school mm. uh and they worked up and and they could get paid paid large amount large amounts of money because relatively for the times because it, it wasn't a career path if 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 you were the um uh, offspring of a uh, well-to-do family they went well you know do you want to go into the army or about banking or mm. um running a hotel whatever no one went oh do you want to sit in a dark room and think up daft ideas for advertising yeah i did a bit of amateur boxing in my teens and there are very few wealthy boxers yes you know it's i i've always thought with advertising and creatives it's kind of because you have to do it or there's an element of that uh, because you know it's not an easy road it's, you you wanted an outlet for yeah i mean it's i tried a lot of things and um i you know i uh, photography directing i think also what I liked about advertising was the variety. Yes. Um, and the ability to do all sorts of different things in different ways. And, um, you know, it is sort of a home of misfits. Yes. So you start to find out maybe you're not as strange as you thought. There are yeah. other, there are other strange people. He is just that as strange as you think people, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Although these days there's a relative uh, homogeneity mm. about credit departments. Yeah, I think it's a problem. Um, uh, well, I've actually been trying to do something about it. Is there's sort of a when I started, you know, you know you'd have a CD, you would hire a waitress, or yeah. you know, there'd be all sorts of strange people in creative departments, and I think it has become a much more homogenized way that people get into advertising, and I think. You know, hiring people, maybe they're a bit older or, you know, looking at different ways of creating creative departments because, you know, we all talk about diversity, but yeah. how you actually hire, um, I think, becomes a really interesting question going forward because otherwise you will have very similar creative departments, I think. Yes, it is. It is one of the difficulties is that there are, if you look to hire a senior female creative mm. in mm -hmm. New Zealand it's they're in relative short supply mm. and of course that that all stems from the beginning mm. it's I, I don't know what the rates are at, at, at the colleges mm. um, if, if they're 50 50 I would imagine they maybe are mm. um, so what happens to all those girls I, was, I think there's also a thing where people work here for a couple of years and obviously go overseas yeah um, and so that for me there's always sort of maybe a slight weakness in the middle you know, you, what you'd call your middleweight copywriter or art director is, yeah. I, I think there's an abundance of juniors and then seniors eventually come back from overseas. Yeah. But in the middle, there's maybe maybe not as much um, talent. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was always my issue. So that's why I had to go and start, start my own agency because it, it's always going to catch up with you in the end. Hmm. Okay, back to Durban. Yeah, okay. So, 1920. Yeah, 1864. Um, so... So I went and um, I did a whole lot of things and eventually fell into advertising in Johannesburg. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, I, I eventually worked for a man called John Hunt. Yep. And John Hunt has an agency there called TBWA Hunt Lascaris. Yeah, and uh, originally, I presume it was Hunt Lascaris. Uh, well, I actually started at an agency called TBWA Gavin Reddy, which mm. was a um, a through-the-line agency, I think they yeah. were called in those days. Which, yeah, and, which is now just an agency. And uh, the, they were unkindly called tits and balloon agencies. Tits and balloons? That's what they were called because they did promos mm-hmm. and activations. Yeah. So okay. I think we've come a long way. Yeah. Um, but that was sort of where I started. So I started in retail, I started in promo and activations, and they were very, very unfashionable in those days. Like they were not seen as, as, as the place to be. But I think it gave me a very good grounding of all sorts of different types of advertising. Yeah. And then I moved across to um, uh, Huntless Scores. Was it hard to, to make that link? Well, what happened was, I mean, it merged. Um, oh, okay. And it actually merged, uh, and about three months after I had got to Huntless Gorris, almost none of the people that came across were still there. Because mm. Huntless Gorris in those days, and I would imagine every agency has, or every country, sorry, has, you know, like your AMV, or there's a sort of an iconic agency, I think, yeah. that everyone passes through. And I think Huntless Gorris, even today, is still in South Africa, sort of seen that way sort of the school that you will go to. and But it was almost like another planet hmm. compared to any other agency at the time. Um, the You know, the things that they were working on and the work they were doing. And John Hunt being a global creative director, you know, it was a very... Um, he was global creative director then. Yeah, I think when yeah. I when I got there, he was already global creative director. So what, what year was that? What? Uh, it was probably about 2005, 2006. Right, okay. And, and so people that had, you know, preceded me, there were people like Tony Granger, um, you know, you had people like Matthew Bull. Uh, uh, there's, you know, you can you can go and sort of all the way all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Johannes Leonardo, Jan Jacobs worked there. So there's there's a real sort of um, alum- alumni of, of people that have gone through there. Um, but when I got there, it was in pretty bad shape. Um, mm-hmm. They'd lost some big clients. Um, and I think it had gone from maybe 25 teams to five, which was, yeah, it was pretty catastrophic. Mm. And then over the next couple of years, you know, I was, I think I was made ECD when I was 32, which I think was probably about five years too young. Um, how, how, how long had you been there? When, how, um, I had been there literally about a year. And you, and as a so you come from the uh, tits and balloons yeah. a- agency. They, they, it had been a very and I mean, uh, I never called it that. Just to be clear, no. For for anyone, I'm just repeating yeah. what David <laughs> said. To be clear, but that's what that that was the unkindness. That yes, we it, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it was very it was a very successful agency. Gavin yeah. Reddy. It was a very successful agency, and uh, uh, I mean, I have a lot of affection for it because there was a real um, camaraderie. Mm. The people that worked there, um, and. W- I think part of the merging was to bring us across um, because maybe the world was changing a little bit. Um, yeah, so sort of, you know, napalm, you know, agency and meltdown, they give me the gun and the sheriff's badge and go, off you go. And so so uh, John Hunt called you into his, to his office and went, uh, okay, Damon, you take over. Yeah, I think John at that time, if, I'm trying to remember this, John was still away. He had either just come back from New York or was still in New York. Um, but 
pretty much that was the deal. It's like, here, you, you, we think you can do it. And uh, I would say for the first year of me being there, I really didn't know what I was doing. Because yeah. nobody, uh, I, I think other creative, creative directors, when I say creative directors, I mean ECDs or CCOs, yeah. not group heads. Um, nobody teaches you what to do. No. They go, right, okay, you're creative director, and all you know about is what the person before you has done, which can end quite disastrously. Yeah, the, you know, the Val movement that is the titles that we all give ourselves and yeah. have created over the, you know, we're creative directors, you know, yeah. you call it whatever you want. Mm. But I think the problem is when you say go from a midweight to a CD or to a senior to CD to um, your job role changes a lot. Yes. But because it just has creative in the title, people have this feeling that there's a consistency to what you're doing. Um, the biggest learning for me was, you know, I'm 32 years old and I'm talking to CEOs that are 50 years old. You know, I'm worrying about my PlayStation and they're worrying about their prostate. Mm. You know, th these are very different realities. So yes. when you're 32 years old and you're trying to have these conversations, I've, that's a very difficult uh, skill to learn. Yes. When you're sitting in a, a boardroom with, you know, a head of a bank, you know, and he's looking at you like, hmm, my son's older than this guy. Kind of, you know. Yeah. That, that was a, a steep learning curve for me. And I, you always had long hair? I've always looked like vaguely homeless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, de, not vaguely. De, de, I call it, de, what's it, derelict. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I think, I think what I realized is you've got to lean into what you are. And I think that's one of the great learnings as a creative director is you will, all your faults will be shown to you every day. Whatever you're bad at, it'll be served up to you every day. And I always say to my creative directors, you're going to make 10 decisions. On a good day, you'll get seven right. Yeah. And you've got to, you've got to be comfortable with that. Um, that took me a long time because you, you know, I think when you start, you think there's a plan or there's a sort of a, it's all going to work out. It's all been figured out. Um, and I think it, it's really about learning how to deal with what's happening in front of you. Um, that was a big learning for me. It is, it is uh, I think, it, uh, being a... a one of the jobs of being a creative director is being an umpire. Yeah. Being an umpire of creative work. The team's, and you have to go out, not out, leg before, whatever. Sometimes you're right. Mm -hmm. Some Sometimes you're wrong. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've been wrong many times. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we're, we are in a business of opinions, often masquerading as science. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, I think one of the great things I've had to learn is, you know, and it's funny, you know, I think there's a little bit of self-loathing that advertising has at the moment, you know, where we're into work washing and purpose and all of these things. Yeah. You have to learn how to sell. And it's one of the things that I think very few creatives are taught these days is how to sell an idea. Yeah, they're, they're not. And I, I think the ability to sell that was prevalent in agencies back in the 60s and, and 70s that was that was a key role as mm -hmm. an account man mm -hmm. and in there are saying the better agencies it was you had a very you had a great strong creative director you and could. it was a job of the the suits of the account men to to find a way to get those ads sold and to get a budget to get it made and that and that was how mm -hmm. great work happened mm -hmm. that became very difficult to do for a number of reasons and um Scams appeared. Mm. 
And uh, I mean, it's funny. I've just come from a talk now from Peter Field. Yeah. So Les Benet and Peter Field, yeah. and his his whole talk was about how uh, creativity used to be in about two thousand eight was twelve times a multiplier. Yeah. In terms of return on investment, and he reckons it's now zero. If you look at can work, and right. and he, what he's saying is the work that's been rewarded is all short term. Yes. And. So I had a conversation with him and I said, I think a lot of that's to do with the fact that um, if you look at budgets, if you look at an integrated campaign from, say, 2005, it was radio, TV and print. Yeah. You now have this proliferation of channels. Yeah. So you kind of start to make work that's a bit like a Swiss army knife. Because the work you were showing, you know, if you think about Cadbury Gorilla or something like that. Yeah. It's fairly bespoke. It's, yes. it's work for a specific channel. It, it's a great TV ad. Yeah. There's nothing else. And that's what it is. Yeah. Now, what I think you're doing is you're often trying to make work that fits across multiple channels. And is that a good thing to do? Um, it's an interesting question. But he's, his view is the work that has been rewarded these days is not work that is building brands. It's work that's very short term. Yes, uh, I agree with that. And as as well as the proliferation of media, there's also the short-termism of companies mm-hmm. where you have uh, quarterly reporting. Mm-hmm. Where it, Yeah, it's it, driven. It's driven by, you know, you've got to make the numbers. Yeah. And it's a real interesting question. And, I mean, he's pretty angry about it because he's saying what, what we're doing is we, we spent years and years building this case for creativity but then you, you know, we might be shooting ourselves in the foot going forward um, by 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 making or saying this is the right kind of work to be making. So it's an interesting interesting debate. Yeah, I I, I think the industry is in is in a, a state of flux. Is in a, a in an, an interregnum, and it it will take a while to sort itself out. It's 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 a, it's a very colluded. Um, area at the moment do you think it's because it's so blurred yeah everybody's it, doing everything well what, what, what happened a digital came along and digital came along a lot slower than was anticipated because by so uh, you know you were uh creative director in the mid noughties in yeah. nine, n- 99 i think the that's when it's sort of the the titanium yeah ha- that's around, right that's right uh, the ram and bmw films yeah it was right. well it's not run on television therefore it can't win a, a, a the can uh, can't be entered. Two thousand and one, I think that came out. Yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, and yeah. That, and that was um, that's the that that was the death of television. Mm. Television, and it, it it has declined hugely, I believe, but it's still it, it's still around and kicking. And we haven't quite we haven't quite worked out as an industry how to use the internet properly. Yeah, it's a real interesting question. Uh, you know targeted personalization versus mass and yeah. if you look at it you know Ehrenberg bass and all of those guys yeah. they say mass yeah but if you look at the what a lot of people in the digital world say is 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 the opposite and i would imagine right now if you're a marketing director you must get be getting so many conflicting messages as to what you should do it must be very confusing yes yeah uh, in the 60s 70s you know, mass media that's boom do a great TV ad and your sales will fly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was it. Yeah. And now it, it's it's a lot more confusing. Let me try and I'll put the. That's the air conditioning there, folks. It's 
I'm, I'm actually okay. You, oh, okay, I'm, I'm you've not, got I'm, two layers, two layers, <laughs> and, and a few beers and some red wine last night. So, <laughs> so okay, so back to so uh, yeah, Scaris. So my yeah, so that was my uh, you know I'd say that was my grounding. That was my formative years. I worked with some great people. Um, yeah, and I worked my way up. And I was I was ECD there for six years. Yeah, and um, we we um, we ended up being agency of the decade. We were we we made some we got back to number one, which for me was something I was always pretty proud of because we were really not in good shape when I took over. Yeah, and uh, you know that's when you start to learn what it means to you know build something. Um, it's not just about doing a good piece of work, but it's about building something. So, and and you learn from you, you learn more from failure. Yeah, and I mean, it's a hard thing um, for me. You know, I think the thing about being a creative is, on some level, you know, if you're about emotion, yeah, you have to be vulnerable. Like, I think it's very hard to be a complete hard ass as a creative and write things that move people. And I think it's uh, it's an interesting thing to be able to develop a thick skin but keep a soft heart. Um, I think that's a really interesting path you have to go as a creative director. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what my reputation is, but your your reputation is terrible. No, it's, my, it's, it's you know, as a, a thorough... I saw the form of you popping my face. <laughs> Remember that campaign, yeah. uh, but as a, you know, as, as a as a um, decent decent bloke, de- a decent person, and that that has not always been the way with other creative directors. Won't name any names, and I'm not necessarily think the people in New Zealand, but oh, certainly ones I've met around the world. I've worked for some of them. Yeah. You know, my one of my first CDs used to set my layouts on fire with a Zippo lighter. Yeah, and call me all sorts of interesting things, and yeah, you know, tell me I was useless and. I suppose yeah, it comes down to your philosophy. You know, there's on the one hand, you have standards. What are your standards? How pragmatic are you? Because there'll be situations where the path isn't really clear. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I wrote this blog once, which was called Trying to Find Jesus Through Advertising. Hmm. And it was all about the fact that sometimes people imbue advertising with very magical powers as to how it can clear up your skin and, you know, your life will work out, and it almost becomes a substitute for your life sometimes. Well, at the career, yeah, and mm-hmm. and I feel as I've got older, and I was like that, but make no mistake, you know, when I started, I was pretty obsessed with advertising. Yeah, um, I'm obsessed with ideas, but I I like to keep some uh, humanity or decency when it comes to how you treat people, because I think if you're in how you um, manage people. I think there was a time when I got into this business, if you were the ECD, you were almost like a rock star. You were the front man. And I can think of guys, you know, even when I was in Australia that were like that. Mm. I think because of the nature of campaigns now, you're a bit more like a shepherd and you have to have relationships with multiple people and you're going to have to see them the next day. And you, you know, if you think of a big campaign now, you might have 10, 15, 20 people involved. I think that's a different energy. Um, so I, I try not to take advertising too seriously. I love ideas and I love making great work, but 
Um, I'm not really into cults. No, I, <clears throat> I, if if you if you go to Can, mm. advertising thinks it is the most important thing in the world. Yeah, and uh, and there's there seems to be more. Um, Okay, I might need some editing here. Might, might need another coffee. Well, I can uh, tell you a story about my grandfather when I was at Ken. When okay, go on. So this is this is a, a here's a revealing moment about Damon. Okay. Um, when I was uh, still uh, a young man and I'd just been made ECD, I went across to Ken. I was with John Hunt and Lee Clow. Yeah. And we won exactly nothing. I think we had three finalists, which for uh, for Huntless Grass was a disaster. I mean, mm. it wasn't great. And I remember sitting on the edge of this pier feeling sorry for myself and going like, oh, my life's fucked and this mm. is all terrible, it's all terrible. And I got this weird phone call from my grandfather. Now, my grandfather was a Battle of Britain fighter pilot. His name was Basil Gerald Stapleton, DFC, DFC. Mm. Um, he never phoned me. DSC is a distinguished flying cross for yeah. Australians. So, so, so you got a Dutch one and an English one, which is yeah. pretty rare. But an amazing guy, completely crazy. But I think if you fought in the Battle of Britain when you were young, you'd be a little bit strange. But uh, he was phoning me to find my dad's phone number. It's just coincidence. But he, he said, oh, you sound a bit down. What's going on? And I was like, um, um, I, I said, uh, well, I'm in Cannes and you know, we awards for advertising. Yeah. His first thing was, what? Awards for advertising? That's ridiculous. That was his first comment. And the second comment after me telling him and pouring my heart out was, you know, when I was 18, I was uh, flying uh, Spitfires. Most of my regiment, or I think it's regiment, died. Squadron. Squadron, sorry. He was a squadron leader, sorry. His <laughs> squadron uh, uh, died. But we had a saying, which is... Uh, Keep pulling the trigger till you see the fuckers smoke. And I'd never, ever heard him swear. Mm. And in a single moment, I understood everything. I realized how ridiculous I felt about, you know, what what is this? It's an award show. It's, it's yeah. okay. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I remember it's something that sort of sticks with me because I... I've had years where we haven't done well and I've had years where we have done well. And it always just reminds me of, you know, what is real and what isn't. And I think um, we sometimes create constructs for ourselves in advertising. And it's always good to be rewarded. And, uh, you know, people work bloody hard in this industry. So I've got no issue with people being celebrated. Yeah. But I think you sometimes have to have some perspective on what it means. Yeah. You, you have done very well in advertising. It, it, it's not, you haven't necessarily done very well at at humanness life. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's, it is what it is. And, I mean, there are a lot of people that I grew up with that would would have a different point of view. And I think even when I was younger, I had a different point of view. And I think when you're young, if I'm going to contradict myself, there is a, uh, a need to pursue a goal that I think can be useful because it drives you forward. Yes. Um, so I think that's a good thing. Um, I, I think at any age, yeah. To be honest, the, the, you know, now I'm. But I'm maybe 60 the goal on changes. Monday, uh, uh, yeah, my my goal is to uh, is currently is to write a book. Yeah. So I'm doing that. When I've done that, if that is any good and people read it, it'll be to write another book. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think so. I think uh, you know maybe maybe advertising. If I've learned any of this, the stages I've been through, um, and uh, I guess maybe what happens is you go from being the the rock star to the band manager. Yeah, and there's a shift, and it's um, you know maybe there's an ego part to that that you have to deal with, but um, I think it's an important shift because I think if you stay in that space as you get older, you know you're you're writing a book because you know you've got experience there's things that you've learned the stuff you want to say i think that's quite different to say when you're you're starting your career yeah and i i I set out to to write one when i was uh 29 yeah it would have been awful yeah well i'm writing a blog because i think it's the lazy man's way to write a book (laughs) yeah well we'll come on to your uh blog later yeah uh but we haven't really talked about any work so when I, I was in London um, a couple of months ago over, over the summer, and I, and I went to the Design Museum. Oh yeah. And I, I'm going, there was a, a Stanley Kubrick exhibition, which was really good. Every, everyone who's in advertising goes, yeah. like, "Oh, the Stanley, Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick exhibition." It was great. Um, I love the type. They had the typewriter from The Shining with all work and no play. Great documentary called Boxes. If you ever get yeah. a chance, it's all about going into Stanley Kubrick's house yeah. after he passes. Yeah. And they open in, there's just hundreds of these cardboard boxes and each one is a project. Yeah. And you start to understand how obsessive he was about all of these different things. It's a great documentary. Do, uh, um, yeah. Do you know Chris Cunningham? Uh, director. From, I don't know. No, no. He, 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 it was his, uh, he's, he's a, uh, a director from the UK and he was working with Kubrick to make the models for the, baby's head in, oh god in ai that was that was his job wow that was what he was doing cool um but anyway back to the design museum which has moved i think it's pretty pretty impressive building and if you're in, in the creative side there are some great museums in london yeah and that's that's one of them so i went, went up to have a, a wander around and the, there's always a, a slight um schism between advertising and design they both yeah. think they're, yeah. they're practitioners of the other one are, more, uh, wankers. yeah yeah uh, so i was quite uh, not su- not surprised that there wasn't much advertising within the design but there was only one advertising uh, advertisement in the in the whole design museum and that was from um damon that was the zimbabwean well as, as a, there was a few of us yes, yeah, yes i was i was part Thank of you. it there were, there were yeah, there were five of us, and I mean, I think in your career, I, I mean, I, I just say that, it, um, it, guys, if you haven't, if you don't know the ad that we're talking about, it was for the Zimbabwean newspaper. Um, essentially, uh, when we did this, Zimbabwe was in freefall, and its economy was, you know, Robert Mugabe had completely stuffed the economy, and we got. I mean, I'll tell you what happened. I got a um, a phone call. Uh, from a, a man called uh, Wolf Mbangwa. And he said, look, I haven't got any money, but w- we've got this newspaper called The Zimbabwean, and they want to put a 30% luxury tax on it, uh, which means uh, you know, we'll go out of business, which was, was the point. Mm. And uh, it's a bit like what we had to do is a bit like trying to get people in Auckland to buy the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, we had to get people in South Africa to buy the newspaper. Yeah, and um, they didn't have a lot of money. Well, the only money they actually had was Zim dollars, and of course, Zim dollars at that point were worthless. I think there was a hundred trillion dollar note. Uh, 
that had just come out. I mean, just think about that for a second, how insane that is. Um, well, that, that's happened in the Weimar. Yeah, Weimar, exactly. Weimar, Weimar Republic, Germany. Yeah, you're trying I've to got, buy bread with, you know. I, I have a framed million million mark note mm. from 1930s but so i not, not trillion yeah, yeah. You, you trump me there but it was i mean it was just insane and uh, there was uh, strangely there was an idea on the wall at the agency at the time which was basically a blank piece of paper and a, a little square and it said zim dollar and then next to it wrote what if we use them as flyers because they're so worthless mm. or something to yeah. that effect and we thought well, well maybe the money can be the the ad and there was two teams uh raf and shelley who's their uh, cds at droga in london and uh there's another team called nick hulley and nadja loscott who are i think creative directors at amv in london yeah it was them and 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 i and you know there was we sat there sticking the stuff together and it's a funny thing about work great ideas are just as scary as bad ideas you have no idea and people say they do, but they don't really. When you start these projects, that anything's going to happen. But it started off as a fly, and where it really kind of worked was we then went, okay, what if it was a poster? And then we said, okay, what if it was wallpaper? And then we went, what if we did a billboard? Mm-hmm. And when we did the billboard, and that went up, the thing was, and you got to remember, this is what two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. It's really the first time social media sort of could spread things or certainly in South Africa. Yeah. And that made a huge difference. You know, if you think of dumb ways to die and these campaigns that have won, a lot of it is to do with the fact that people have seen the work already. And, and, and you know, it, it, the social media wave hits can almost before the people get there. This, this is what I, uh, part of the topic I'll be writing about in yeah. the book, which is a, a satire on advertising, <laughs> is that, if uh, you know, along with um, here's my dead dog. Where's my award? Where's my award? Yeah. It's like uh, here's here's my four hundred million views. Here's where's my, my award? Here's my case study. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I there is, to, uh, in my mind, no doubt that dumb ways to die. If it didn't have that views or that number of views on the internet, would not have half the number of awards that, as as good as it is. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what won five Grand Prix, which was yeah, and crazy. It, and the Grand Prix it didn't win was Cyber. <laughs> Because I was on the jury, and, and I don't know how, how much it swayed it, but I said, what, it already won three Grand Prix. I said, right, cyber, we're supposed to be showing the way ahead for the industry. What is the point of giving it yeah. another Grand Prix? Yeah. Well, we, we, uh, Sorry, uh, John and, and team, but what's, you know, it's like I just rubber stamping it. Well, yeah. well, I think you and I can do another podcast just on Ken. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but, well, well, we need to have that discussion because it might help with the book. But, but anyway, so uh, look, um, we put that out there and I think the GFC had just ha- happened. So, you know, sometimes, you know, planets line up, right? The yeah. GFC had happened. The world was in not in good, good shape. We had done this campaign about, uh, you know, economy failing, freedom of the press, and it, it took off. And uh, that was a year, you know, I think if you're lucky, maybe two or three times in your career, you'll have a year where it all just works out. Yeah. And that was for I'm me. I'm still waiting. Yeah. yeah. I think you've done okay, mm, Paul. Yeah. Um, um, and and it, uh, it won everything. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we could have thrown it out of a window. And, you know, it won 
won the Grand Prix at Cannes, and in those days, I think it won six Lions, which in those days was unheard of. Yeah. I think in total it won nine Lions, yeah. which was crazy. Yeah. One Black Pencil at yeah. DNAD, one, yeah. So, and I, you know, I'm very grateful to that piece of work because it opened a lot of doors for me. And I think when you come from the third world, which is where I come from, you know, you think about guys in South America or you know, there's a lot of talk about scam, but I think there's also a lot of talk about, you know, people trying to get out of places, get out of the ghetto. get to America. So people, you know, there's a, you talk about it being, um, you know, guys from the North, you know, like it's yeah. a bit like boxing. I think yeah. uh, in those days it was very much like that. And I don't know if I'd be where I am today if I hadn't done that piece of work. I mean, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have. It, it that will open doors it did and i so you know i got i got phone calls um uh, i got a f phone call to go work in london i got a phone call to go work in asia and uh through a roundabout route because of those phone calls i also got a phone call to go to australia yeah and i i checked them all out um i was went to charlotte street in london uh sochi and sochi at the time yeah. who did um, you see there uh well i ended up seeing uh this is kind of a weird story, but I ended up, there's a guy called David Nobby. Yeah, I know Nobby. And Nobby introduced me when I was judging DNAD to a man called Mike Rabello. And Mike Rabello. I know of Mike Rabello. So yeah. Mike Rabello runs uh, Publicist now, I think, for Australia. Yeah. I think and, regionally, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, regionally. So, and he was coming back from uh, London to go back to Australia. And when he heard that I might be going to London, he said, what if you came out to Australia? So it's sort of a weird roundabout turn of events. I got this this offer to go and run Saatchi and Saatchi in Sydney. So that that's a, what, what was it a, an ECD that Saatchi's in London were offering you or no? It wasn't. And I mean, I realise now if I'd taken it, it would have been terrible. I think it was like um, creative director on something like Head and Shoulders. Oh something. my god! But but when you come from like when you're from South Africa, you have no idea. Yeah. So I see it happening. Shampoo? What's yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> but well. <laughs> Dandruff, um, but I see this happening a lot now, where they're getting a lot of guys going and working in these sort of regional or global roles, and they always last six months because it's it's a real sort of skill where if you're a regional or global guy on a, on a brand, it's a very different job to running an agency because you might not always have creative resource; you have to use other people's resource. Yeah. So I think I, I think I made the right move. I don't think I would have been very good at that job. You're listening to Truth and Soul. Soul. I've I've always been wary of hiring people on the basis of an award. Sure, sure. Uh, th there's been a, a, a number of cases in, say, in New Zealand, of a multi-award-winning yeah. campaign which yeah. has twenty-seven creatives down on it, yeah. and one of those twenty-seven creatives comes to see you and goes, "Hey, I, you I know, know I, I've got a yeah. Grand Prix can, and I, for this, and like, well, were, yeah, were you? Are you brilliant, or were you part of?" Yeah, and I think I think that's maybe what I've you know the last couple of years here. The thing that I've really tried to do, and obviously I did it with Shane. You know, Shane's moved yeah. to TBWA. Shane Brannigan. Yeah, um, is try to create some consistency yeah. where we've got a body of work each year that we're proud of. And the thing that I talk about is pride. It's not about is it going to win at can or. It's more like, are you proud of that piece of work? Yeah. And, you know, if it wins, because I've had stuff in Cannes that I thought was a sure sitter and didn't win anything. 
and vice versa. Um, we only enter a few shows. Hmm. We've took that decision five years ago. Because yeah. at one point you could enter 26 shows. Yeah. Which we just thought was insane. It, it, is in, it, it is insane. I thought that the GFC would kill off some award shows and, it, yeah. and instead it's multiplied them. I yeah. don't yeah. I don't understand how and that I, happened. And, and I think, you know, if you're winning a silver bear in Tajikistan yeah. or whatever. I, it, I got seven of those. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, you're ahead of me. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not it, – when does it stop having any value? And I think you've got to – if you win, you should really fucking celebrate it and it should be amazing for the agency. But if you're getting, you know, doorstoppers every week and they don't have – you can even see with press releases now. Like there'll be some announcement about show, and there's just nothing. No, it's like uh, there's award fatigue. Um, yeah, we at at, um, at, at uh, when we set up Barnes Camp and Friends, we we used to put the odd the odd piece into yeah. um, award shows. You know, like you know one or two pieces into one or two shows. And I remember we put uh, we did uh, Pizza Roulette, which was where they had the ghost chili on one slice of pizza but you didn't know which one and it hugely successful people like students love the yeah. idea of uh, having some, a really uh, something really unpleasant to eat and needing to drink a liter of milk so we're, we're quite proud of it did a great great job for hell and we put it into award in australia and it won a silver mm -hmm. now in those days award was pretty tricky they, it's Still. And to, to win a silver award for an independent agency in a second year or something was was, was pretty good, mm. but nobody gave a shit. Mm. Nobody cared, mm. uh, and, and it was so. Why are we doing this? Why are we mm. spending money? Mm. And even when we win, mm. nobody cares. So mm. we went, oh, yeah, I think. It. I mean, I think the one I remember. Do you know the the rabbit fur billboard? Yeah, I was, that yeah. was. I remember that. I, I think. I think the thing is, if you're going to do it. The question is why, and I think you've got to celebrate the creatives. You've got to celebrate the effort, but the award itself has to have meaning. Yes. If if you yeah. start, you know, just doing it because it's a mathematical thing. Yeah. And there are lots of examples of agencies over the last 10, 15 years that, you know, would try and get four hundred finalists. Or I, yeah. I, I think when creativity becomes math, maths, it, yeah. that's maybe not the way to go. Um, and so the way I look at it is, and I've always said this is, you know, an agency I've always admired is, say, Wyden and Kennedy, where they never have the most. Yeah. But the work that they do is something that you remember. It's iconic. Yeah. And I, I think that's, for me, what I try to push towards is, like, we do work that is, is iconic. If it wins, great. Um, but it's work that you're proud of. Yeah, I, I think... I think that it's important that you do the best work that you can, mm. and if it's good enough for other people to go, wow, that's fantastic, we're going to give it an award, mm. that's great. It's when people uh, enter awards for their own sake. Mm. And and look, it's very hard. For, I, I would say, you know, in terms of that, the industry... Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if anyone's got completely clean hands on no, that. No, I, I, uh, I the, admit, I, yeah. it, early on in my career, you're going, you're just scrambling around to get a name. So, yeah. but, yeah. but I do think, um, I think it's actually strangely enough, uh, it's it, the industry's changed in terms of um, the kind of work. Uh, I think it's harder, you know, to do stuff for, you know, um, 
th- that kind of work. But I'm sure, I'm sure it still exists. But I, I think the great thing about New Zealand is, for me, I almost call it the last paradise of advertising because you know you can make big brand work here. You can get access to the CEOs. You you can move fairly quickly. You know you don't always have the scale of other markets, but you should certainly have the speed. So I think that's part of why New Zealand is is so successful is the access that people have. No, I I, I think you're right, Damon. But uh, dare I say, in terms of budgets and big brands and getting to see the CEOs, it's dare I say it, it's easier for DDB. <laughs> Um, yeah, and and, uh, and, and Colenso. Yeah, uh, look, then for for smaller agencies. That might and that might be fair. I mean, I think it's interesting. Even in Sydney, uh, yeah, independent being an independent agency, I think is really tough. Um, you know, because I don't know if it's interesting. I'd love to almost know what the sort of country's view is on independent agencies, because it's sometimes maybe there's more safety in in networks or things like that, or there's a perception. Um, but do you mean the industries or, or the clients? Just, just, or? just generally, because I, I feel like um, when I was in um, in Sydney, the only agency I can think of that was really successful as independent was the Monkeys at that point. I mean, yeah. they've obviously sold now. Yeah. But there, wa- there wasn't a proliferation of independent agencies. And it's just kind of, maybe it's just because they're really difficult to do. But it feels like, you know, the, the market markets like Australia and New Zealand, then maybe there should be more. It's it's difficult. It it, it it's not easy, um, uh, and there is a huge oversupply of agencies. Yeah, well, I mean, you see what's happening now, um, you know, with WPP, and there's definitely, yeah, you know, I think what did they have four or five agencies here in in Auckland? Yeah, yes, yeah, and the, and they're cutting cutting that down. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, to be fair, to, I mean, DDB is a, a big fish and maybe a small pond. It is. And yeah. I, I think being a small agency in a small market is tough because it's not like there's 20 banks or 30 banks. There's no. three or four. So I, I take, I think that's fair. It's it's tricky. Uh, uh, the, um, the consistency of management of DDB where Marty O'Halloran, yep. who, who took, took over from Doug Foday just after I started there in about 2000, yeah. 2001. Yeah. Uh, Marty being yeah. a calming influence to, and a nice guy yeah. to the, so many people on, on the client side and on agency side, I think has, has been, it, it's provided that agency a, a solid base from mm. which. Yeah. And I mean, I'd so, where did I take, I'm trying to remember when I got here, 2000 and, 14 maybe 1914 yeah. I, th- I think there's a you know some agencies have a, a dna in them it's a quite a hard thing to explain but if somebody said to me once about white and kennedy is when you walk in there no one tells you what the rules are but you know what they are yeah i feel that way a little bit about ddb is that there's been a succession of people that have in this sort of ingrained ideas there which is creativity is really important but doing the right thing and it's you know there's it's not gimmicky. It's, it, it's there's, decent. It's decent. decent. And people like Marty, you know, it's about building brands. It's it's big sort of platforms. And um, I think that creates a consistency of behavior. 
yeah. where your suits and your creatives and everyone knows that that's sort of how we do things. And people come to us because we do things a certain way. Um, and um, maybe it's not always super flash, but, uh, you know, we will get as, you know, excited about something working and being successful for the client as it being creative. Yes. And I, I think, you know, that that balance for me, um, I've worked in agencies where that you haven't had that and it, yeah. it, it's not great. It's not great. You know, I, I was really surprised. There was a, I think it was Marketing Magazine did a survey of clients and they said, what is the most important uh, facet that you look for in an agency? Number one was creativity. Number two was effectiveness. And I can't understand that, why effectiveness is not, is not the first. Also, should they be separate? Uh, well, to my mind, effectiveness, uh, you know, as Birnbeck would say, creativity is the best tool that you have mm. to ensure effectiveness. Well, uh, there's a phrase that we've used in the agency ever since we started, probably, which is whatever works, works. Mm. Uh, if, if it's not creative, but, it, but it's doing whatever it's meant to do, well, mm. great. I mean, if... Often you can use creativity to multiply that effect, which mm. is which is yeah, even um, better. But if it's if it's working, it's working. In a perfect world, it should be both. You know, in a, in a perfect world, I think. Um, I think uh, it's funny. I think sometimes when they say creativity, that you know, there's almost an, a, a desperate need these days for distinctiveness. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think. Uh, well, that's from Ehrenberg Bass. Yeah, but I, but I think you know because he. He talks about being, you know, a distinctive brand asset, and it's often, um, you know, it's often a visual thing, you know, where you'll, how something looks. But I yeah. think a distinctive brand asset can also be an emotion or a feeling. The other thing I'd say is I think the reason um, a distinctive brand asset or is so important these days is it's almost become a navigation device. So I I feel like for a while being, you know, brand building wasn't in, in vogue, it had sort of kind of fallen mm. out of favor, but I, I feel like it's going to come back um, because how what happens when your consumer experience is exactly the same as the next person? What happens when your app also orders you coffee just like the other guy? There has to come a point where um, you can distinguish yourself from others. And I, I think that's getting harder and harder these days. And we spend a lot of time having those kinds of conversations with clients. Like, how do you, how do you stand out? Um, and part of that for me is what creates effectiveness. You know, I, th I find these things quite connected in my head. I don't see them as sort of separate things. I agree, sometimes it might just be, you know, make the toothpaste hold bigger. Yeah. But yeah. often it's, it's actually just about uh, creating uh, if I think of what we've done for Lotto, Lotto is a good example of where we stuck with something. You know, Imagine has been a platform that we've had for five years now. Which is, which is your favorite um, Lotto ad? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, in terms of um, doing something fresh or new, I actually think what we've just done in terms of turning the, the ad into a, a ticket or into a game we, you know, we had people, we had people looking at that ad for six and a half minutes trying to find the, the numbers inside it. Uh, yeah. But I'm a truck. The last one I always just thought as a piece of film, and you know, 
the writing and what it turned out to be was so close. Yeah, it was almost what was on the page became the... Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because I, uh, as soon as... I, I loved that ad, and as soon as... I, I thought the direction was movie quality yeah it, it, it didn't look like an ad it uh, the 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 dialogue and yeah. the, the way that characters work it's it great. was so believable it was it was excellent and yeah, i immediately went who did that uh tim bullock so i'm going tim bullock has taken that script and done marvelous things with it but from your point of view it it, it is oh so no it was meant to be but make no mistake i mean we've used like so steve ason did the pirate ship ad yeah which i always thought was a great piece of film um, but I think uh, the idea was written. Was it was exactly yeah. as? Actually, the one thing that was added was the control room, that wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and the reason we put the control room in, where the guy's talking to him, is it's almost like you realize um, that there are other people in on the prank. Yeah. Because you could have written that ad without the control room, and you wouldn't even at the end wouldn't have known if it was real or not. Yes. So that. We, we put that in, which I think made quite a big difference. Look at this. The tape recorder. It's running. It's running. It's running. It's running. Uh, so, Dame, you had, you had a good time in Australia? Uh, it was a good, it was a good learning curve. I, um, yeah. I mean, Sochi, we, we, we doubled the size of the agency, doubled the billings. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a hell of a learning curve to get to a new country and learn how everything works. Yes. So, you know, um, I made some good work there, um, but um, I think moving to New Zealand was a good move for me. Um, that, yeah, that, that's interesting. There's, I think the, there's a few people who've gone the other way. So, uh, myself... That's not me. That's... that's a, <laughs> young assistant uh, we've, we've had uh, creative directors incl including myself going to australia mm. not enjoying it mm. uh and not having a good time of it mm. and coming back and i'm sure um the australians haven't said it to my face but i'm sure there's a certain amount of glee at, yeah, if i can keep these come over here and yeah yeah i think sydney's sydney's tough um yeah. it's not an easy uh market and um uh but it's still, you know, I still learned things there, and I still did. I did a piece of work there that um, called Penny the Pirate, yeah, which um, did well, and yeah, it taught me how to do real grown-up stuff, grown-up meetings, how you started to do integrated campaigns in a, in the modern world, yeah. you know. So, um, and I worked with some really great people. You know, there's a lot of them now that are working at Google, or you know, they've mm. gone all over the place. So, you know, you can always learn. Yeah. from those experiences so how, how did the uh, how did the move uh, come across how did you end up here um i just decided um i didn't want to i think you can get to a point where you're fighting for average work yeah um and it, i don't think you know there's nobody to blame for that you can just find yourself in that kind of space to just just Buy something. I don't care what it is. Just buy something. Well, you start having these weird things. Well, if they don't buy this, they might make something even worse. Yeah, yeah. And that's not a good <clears throat> place to be in. Mm. Um, and I, um, you know, I'd move my family eight thousand miles. You know, it's quite a stressful thing to to move countries. Or I found it um, stressful. And it, uh, it is. It, I, I mean, I find it takes about 
six months before you go, okay, this is, yeah. I, I, I live here now. I'm not just a long stay tourist. Yeah, I think it takes time to feel it. But I, so I was, I didn't really want to move again. Mm. But I'd always admired the work that came out of New Zealand. And I do think, and this is, you know, Kiwis block your ears, but there is a strange affinity or connection between the way South Africans are and New Zealanders are. I don't know if it's because it's a small country at the edge of the world, mm. you know, the tyranny of distance, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But there's a, a mentality where people here go, oh, we'll give it a go. Or we'll try yeah. it. And um, uh, I also think why New Zealand does well is it's not really that focused on anyone else. There's, they're aware of it. Mm. But, I've, you know, there are other markets that are completely obsessed with what America's doing or what mm. London's doing. Um, I find that there's a bit more of a, well, this is something we thought of and built in the garage, yeah. and we quite like it. And I sort of, I think South Africa has that as well. There's a, you know, there's all sorts of problems in South Africa, but that gives amazing solutions to things as well. So I don't know, I felt maybe a connection there somehow. Mm. And, and you're a big rugby fan, which maybe helped? Yeah, well, I've now lived in you know, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, so yeah, my bases are covered. Are you, are you going to uh, Japan at all for the World Cup? No, I'd love to, but um, I'd have to. Okay, I have a spare ticket for the oh, for the cool final. Of the way you set that up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you, um, your blog, which I think is called Damon's Brain. Yeah, it's not the world's greatest title, but um, I started writing it as a form of therapy. Oh, here comes. Brilliant, come in. Thank here, you. Here comes the coffee. Yeah. Thank That's you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It just, I was start, I was starting to flag. Can you get First caffeine. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um. Thank you so much. So, uh, Damon's yeah. Damon's brand new blog. Yeah. So, I, I, is, is it true you have one hundred and fifty thousand? Yeah, well, there's there's now been. I can actually look at my phone. That, that, that should get you a Ken Grand Prix, I think. It's. I, I mean, it's over a couple of years that that's built up. I mean, I've been writing yeah. it now for five years. Yeah. Let me see what the. I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it's in here somewhere. But we're just trying to ensure accuracy, so, listeners. So, yeah, one hundred forty-six thousand eight hundred. Um. So that so that is visitors. That's total number of visitors. Yeah, yeah. So not, not unique visitors. Oh, dare un I say. unique is about ninety-two thousand. So that's it's it's. I mean, the reason I started writing it wasn't because I wanted lots of people to read it. I I just felt like no one was. There's sort of a lot of guys, you know, with Venn diagrams and cool trainers hmm. that do. They they always sort of you know talk about creativity being too important to be left to the creatives. You know, there's a little bit of. Yeah, you're talking about the planners here, well, Damon. Uh, let's call it the explaining class. Yeah. Okay. So they explain creativity, and yeah. I, I felt well, it would be good if somebody who actually has to make stuff to try and talk about it mm. and at least have a point of view on it, because um, I just didn't ever see anyone talking for the creatives. It was sort of a an absence. Mm. So I started writing. Um, and I was writing for myself as much as anyone else. I, I, it's sort of like you're doing this and you say, well, let's see how this goes. Kind yeah. of, you know, I'm, I'm writing a blog because I've heard people write blogs. Yeah. And uh, there was sort of a, you know, in the beginning, I probably had three people read it or something. And then uh, there was one that I wrote and I started getting people emailing me from other 
parts of the world. Yeah. Asking me like what they should do with their careers. You know, people from Minneapolis going, I feel like that too. Like, should I do yeah. this? And I was like, geez, I don't know how to, I don't know how to answer that. But mm. I realized there was really a, there are a lot of creatives that are probably working in what I call depot agencies. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of agencies across the world where you may be just resizing stuff or, yeah. yeah, there was there wasn't a lot of um, love for creativity in some of those places, and I, and I got a lot of quite heart wrenching letters from people or, or emails um, saying like, "Fuck, I don't know what to do with my life," kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I kept writing, and you got mine then. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. yours. <laughs> oh, you're that Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just kept writing. Um, I kept writing, and it almost became a discipline for me. So now I do it every two weeks. You know, sometimes I don't write because I've got nothing to say. Yeah. Um, and I think I've made that mistake where I've written stuff just because I had to. And yeah. That, I don't do that anymore. Um, and then, you know, people have picked it up. And I, I it's free. Um, you know, anyone wants to put it up, if it helps them. A lot of people use it for the internal newsletters. It gets published in South Africa and Australia and Asia. Um, I just do it because I... I don't know. Sometimes it's a lonely business being a creative, and maybe maybe it helps someone, and th th that's why I do it. Yeah, no, I think uh, you do use Twitter. I do, but it's sort of a I don't know. I have a strange relationship with Twitter. I do use it, but it almost always seems to be like a a secondary thing for me. Um, I I always put it up. It seems like LinkedIn is where I don't know what I think of LinkedIn, but it's always. Seems to be a lot of people active on LinkedIn. Yeah, I think that's because they're allowed to, they feel justified in reading LinkedIn at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Biz, biz, uh, business uh, Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, I, I'm going to probably, uh, you know, I, I'm copying Paul. I'm going to probably do a book. Um, uh, um, but it, it's yours going to be. Um, a satire on the world of advertising. No, please, please I, don't. No, it's not. It's not. I think it's going to be. Uh, uh, um, years ago, I did a shoot, and um, the client uh, ate ate their own pack shot by mistake, which cost about sixty grand to fix. So I'm thinking of calling my book "Eating the Pack Shot," because it it, it always represents to me the strangeness of advertising. You can have everything planned and figured out. Yeah. And then your own client eats their own chocolate bar, you know, yeah. and you, you have to start again. So it's probably lessons or things that I've, and I, you know, if I'm perfectly honest, it's a vanity project. Yeah. I'm doing it because I've just always wanted to do one. And, you know, if anyone reads it, that's great. But you, you're you going to take, I mean, you could take your articles from Damon's mm. Brain and publish them as a. Yeah, that's part of it. It's, it's like a, you know, I think there's a, uh, um, it, it's kind of maybe looking at creativity and and what I've taken out, all the lessons I've taken out of twenty five years of doing this, and and what are the reoccurring themes that I see um, over and over, um, and so it would probably be maybe it's a creative self help book. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Well, my I, I, uh, my title for my version of that is is how to be quite good at advertising because I'm. <laughs> Because we get we get masterclasses yeah. from yeah be a little bit along. good yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so we'll see the fight for mediocrity yes yeah. um, is up there yeah well uh, and uh, I, I thought this was uh, um, uh, amazing 
that um, there was an article, this was a few years ago. Yeah. There was an article about um, one of the players for the New Zealand Warriors, the rugby league team. And uh, they're asking questions and they said, I can't remember his name. They said, um, uh, do you read? Do you read books? And he went, um, I don't read very, very many books, um, but I'm reading um, one at the moment, which is just fantastic and is helping me in my career. Uh, it's called. Um, it was Paul Arden's book. Oh yeah. It, it was. It's not how good uh, you are. How good you want to be? Yeah. No. I, I just thought. It, it, here's a book by an advertising creative director, and mm. it's aimed at advertising people and a rugby league player. It's the only book he's read, and he's loving it. Well, thought, well, one of the things I always do is I always write for the creatives when I put stuff out, and then yes. I have all these people come to me and say, "Well, why do you always say for the creatives? I'm not a creative." And I said, "Well, that's a decision you've made." Hmm. And I, th that's why I do it because I think it's funny how in our business right now everyone talks, everyone talks about creativity and how important it is, how vital it is. But it's it's sort of just become. I think Susan Sontag has a thing which is a word is not a thing. It's one of my favorite quotes. A word is not a thing. And I, I've always. It's funny how when people use language to just talk about creativity, they don't really always explore what it is mm. or what it means. And I think for me, that's, you know, these kinds of books are much more useful beyond advertising. I think it's it, it, creativity is a much bigger space mm. than that. Um, but I think it's just become a word. And I think we need to actually investigate what creativity is a bit more than just sort of putting it on a shelf. Yes, it, it, it gets bumbled around and, and used and applied to things where that are not really, yeah, creative. Or you know, we'll we'll use the word innovation because it sounds oh. better. Yeah, you know, oh. you know, innovation content. I've got I've got lots of words I can talk to you about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. another time. We'll, we'll save that for another one because <laughs> yeah, I, I'm entrepreneur is another area that, that I find a little bit suspect sometimes. Um, Damon, I know you have to go and do some creative directing with Uncle Marty. Yeah. Or, or shepherding. Yeah. So when you it. when you send this out, send this to Marty and say I spent the whole day doing this with you. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's been. Yeah. It's now. It's now <laughs> half past three. <laughs> You're listening to Truth and Soul. Biggest mistake. I, I, I like. Um, I've, I find it interesting to to hear the struggles that mm. people have had. It's something you, you know. You, you do you do a good ad. It's brilliant. You win million yeah. awards. Yep. Okay. But what what was the you know what in your career just stands out? You go, geez, that fucked up there. Yeah, well, that's a hard. I mean, <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes, but I think maybe. Uh, I think when you get into this business, you can be, you know, impressed. When I started in this business, I always, maybe when I began, I always thought everybody knew a lot more than me. Yeah. You know, you meet all these guys and, they, you know, they've got the jargon, they've got, you know, the rimless glasses, they've got, you know, they've got it all figured out. So I think I spent all... about Modo? Oh, Modo doesn't have rimless glasses <laughs> and right. his, his hair is not as good as mine, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> But but I think um, but it, even creatives, you know, you meet creatives that are very slick sometimes, and have got the patois all figured mm. out. Um, I think for me, uh, so the first half of my career was learning that no one really knows anything, 
And I think William Goldman actually yeah. said that once cool. about about filmmaking or Hollywood. Yeah. And I really, I really think uh, what I've had to learn is to celebrate people that give it a go and make stuff. Because you know, I think we think about creativity these days as an answer. But you know, oil paintings never dry. It's a process. Uh, my favorite quote is Paul Klee, which is um, uh, a line is a dot that went for a walk. And I've always loved that because I think that explains how you get to great ideas. It's not a single moment. It's a series of moments. So the, the thing that I've, I've had to learn to trust is people that try hmm. or, or give it a go. Um, I'm very wary of people that tell me they know the answer right off the bat. Um, and I think that was a mistake I made early in my career. Um, I think as you get older, the mistake... Uh, you can make is the mistake of of wisdom, thinking you know the answer. Well, that, the Dunning Kruger effect. So I think it's you know my career, the first half is maybe being too naive, <laughs> and then maybe as you get older you think you know too much. And I think uh, I love being surprised. You know maybe I, uh, you know, I like I like to be proved wrong. Mm. It's something you know that um, that's something I've you know. Maybe as I've got older, um, I've made a mis mistake where you think you know the shortcut or you know the answer. But you know, the biggest mistake you can make is to ever is to move away from creativity or ideas. Um, you know, there's a lot of people right now that are peddling all sorts of other answers, um, and I think you know we should really double down on creativity. I think it's not a, you know, it's dangerous to just think it's easy to replace it with something else. So uh, you mean so because of the targeting, you can specifically you can get um, a fisherman with two dogs who lives in a beach house in Tafanui. You can that's target, part of it, and everyone forgets the the message that that you give to that person, mm. whoever it is, needs to needs to work as well. Well, I always just, yeah, I always say that people are obsessed with picture frames rather than the picture. And that's the one way I explain it. Or um, there's a great line from The Economist. I actually said this to a client yesterday, which was, "Would you sit next to you at a dinner party?" And and what what that means to me is, you can be in exactly the right place, you know, but that doesn't mean anyone's going to pay any attention to you. Yeah. And I I think there's a lot of uh, uh, belief that just by being somewhere. People are going to go, oh, thank God you're here. Um, I think you have to always think w w when it comes to people's time, you have to offer them something. And you have to offer them something that is emotional. It can't just be information because they can get that anyway. But they, they said about advertising UK, there was a contract between the, the listener, yeah. sorry, between the viewer, generally television advertising, and the advertiser. Give and that was, yeah. we're going to give you uh, an interesting 30, 60 seconds, and you'll go, oh, yeah, that was quite fun. And at the end of it, we'll show you what our product. And I'll go, okay, I'll go along with that. Yeah. And the, that happened for a long time in the UK to such an extent that there were surveys where people said they preferred the ads to the programs. Well, I always remember, is it Hamlet Cigars? Hamlet Cigars, yeah. You know, that's, I remember that's one of the first things, and I always just remember thinking, it's just, it's just great. And, you know, I didn't care what it was for. It was just, I liked, uh, I just liked the way it was made, and, you know, it was, it was just funny. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny, like, the, there's a whole assault at the moment on the concept of an ad. Yeah. 
we have in this industry. What that looks like an ad. Yeah. So yeah. so you know, the art of seduction, the art of I'll give you I'll tell you a joke, you give me your time. Yeah. So what you tend to find now is a lot of people are trying to do things that are, are real or yep. authentic. And I, I kind of I don't think that's a long road. There's a lot of brands, you know, where you have to just accept that you're funny or you're you know, I'm gonna tell you a gag. Like I, I don't think every brand can have be about purpose you know or have these strong views on the world i think some brands can but other brands could just be fun yeah i i again that that's a long a long subject i think purpose because i am i i'm not convinced by by that you see some absurd stats because you say um if you interview people and you go um, uh, it does the your the milk that you drink does it matter to you that the brand that that you get uh, produces milk ethically? Mm. And they'll go yes, mm. and and you'll come out with that stat. But in the supermarket, they'll, they'll buy whatever's cheapest. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's. I, I think a uh, yeah. There's a, there's a whole conversation about this that we should have one day. But I think there's there's you might find there's a course correction where. You know, we might have to just make things that people like. Um, I think Dave Trotz just written a, a blog, which is advertising isn't isn't medicine. You know, it's just yeah. like just make me laugh, or just yeah. you know. And I I think I mean he's one of the best for me in terms of the way he looks at it. And um, I think we must be careful of what we think advertising can and can't do. Yes, and on that note, leaving an open question uh, and uh, maybe if we can find time to do this again and to delve into other subjects we can have beer or coffee but uh, Damon Stapleton thank you very much thank you for sir coming let me check it was an honor you've been listening to truth and soul the New Zealand advertising podcast okay list of credits thank you very much um, to this week's guest whoever he she or it might be Damon Stapleton in this case. Uh, if you liked it, uh, drop us a line, uh, paul at truthandsoul.co.nz. Thank you very much to everyone at Franklin Road, uh, Jonathan Cole, uh, The Wastrel Shane, Vanessa and Gracie, uh, Otis who did the logo, and uh, Matt Stalker who's going to play us out. Thank you. Spires of candlelight While the wicked sleep sound Of 
Give my trembling hands crudely silhouetted by the flickering spires of candlelight while the wicked sleep sound the anxious toss and turn thoughts come not a single spice but in battalions while the wicked sleep sound the anxious toss and turn 